Yeah, that means I would have lost my right to vote. For dueling? Yeah, and you would have not had your right to vote. Sorry. Yeah, um, it's good to be winning. in 2020, guys. Yay. As bad as it is right now. <laughs> oh. Uh, Hello and welcome to Inconclusive, the podcast where we randomly select topics and argue about them. Coming up Inconclusive, my name is James. My name is Abigail. And my name is Candace. All three of us are educators at an international school in Taiwan and bring wildly different perspectives to the table. It is important to note that our individual opinions do not necessarily reflect those of our employer. Okay, let's begin. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of your favorite inconclusive podcast. I'm James, and I'm here with Candace and Abigail. Hey! And today we are continuing our series on justice. Last time, Candace and all of us, we discussed um, the idea of a death penalty and, mm-hmm. and kind of its place in, I guess, like criminal justice. Um, and this week we are talking about disenfranchisement, which is a long word. But basically what we're going to ask today is whether or not a convicted criminal, whether or not they should be allowed to vote. Um, And we'll kind of break down the different parts of that. But first, I'm going to define some terms. The first, well, the only term that I'm going to be defining is disenfranchised, which is the state of being deprived of a right or privilege, especially the right to vote. So... Most of us in a democratic society kind of take voting for granted. Like we just mm-hmm. think about, oh, like, oh, I get to vote. Everyone gets to vote. Like it's a, it's a normal democratic thing. But uh, I don't know how many of you have thought about it. I certainly have not thought about this a lot. But a lot of times um, in the U.S., but also across the world, people in prison don't usually get to vote. Um, sometimes they're not allowed to, sometimes they are allowed to, but they don't get to, sometimes they're allowed to and they get to, but they don't know how to, mm. or they're not informed about how to. So all a this kind of stuff. A lot of different ways it can go wrong. Yeah. And there's a lot of problems in the whole, like it's really bureaucratic and all this fun stuff. <laughs> would prisoners do mail-in ballots? They would do an absentee ballot absentee if they're ballots. outside of their state. Yep. Which means mm-hmm. they would have to request for it every year or every time. Yeah, so there are prisons that do that. on Like, that's a service that they would provide. But prisons that don't, then it's like, how are you going to, mm. you know, you got to do it on your own and you stay informed. Save up the stamps and all that. Yeah. Um, so the idea of voting is actually something that um, the United Nations kind of states as a, a universal human right. Mm, Under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Article 21, it says, quote, everyone has the right to take part in the government of his country directly or through freely chosen representatives. Same so, thing as the right to f- clean water. Yeah, so it doesn't necessarily, like, that, what I just quoted doesn't have the word vote in it. So, like, there are, I guess there are different ways of taking part in the government of your country. So that's kind of like the little gray area that's mm-hmm. like, oh, <laughs> the Chinese Communist Party can be like, well, you know, we listen to your, we listen to our people and therefore or we're the they people's work for republic. The <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, exactly. So um, that's kind of a broad definition. But I think in general, like in most democratic societies, we would say that like voting is a really important part. Um, have you guys voted before? Or yeah. either yeah. presidential elections I, um, or state. Mine's actually really interesting. My my voting last time I voted, um, 
I did a mail-in ballot, and, you know, we hear all the time, especially right now as another election is coming up, about how insecure, you know, mail-ins are and how, you know, they're all fraudulent. But the state of Oregon, every ballot is mail-in. You don't have any polling booths or anything. It's all mail-in. And I have two different, like, signatures (laughs) that I use throughout my life, and they go back and forth. It depends. And I signed it with the wrong one that I registered with. And so after the the election, my ballot actually got sent back, rejected, and so it didn't get counted. Um, Wait. Yeah. Why do you have two different signatures? I have one that looks like a scribble, and then I have one that you can actually read my name. And I never know where I use it. It's actually because, (laughs) specifically because my mother gets very concerned about the safety of my accounts with my scribble (laughs) signature. And Until so it I'm like, you. oh, okay. She's like, I a cat to, could like, do that. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah. I think, I think a beetle could do it. And so... It's a very um, specific creature <laughs> with I'm just handwriting saying, skills. lower intelligence than a cat um, could, could totally copy it. And, and out of, you know, love for me, she gets concerned. But what that has done is I never know... What my Which signature, signature is, mm. and so I have to like actually here for all, all of the documents that I have to like sign my English name in. I always have to like refer back to my passport because it's always signed the same way you sign on your passport. Yeah. So I just have to like look back at it and copy it to make sure that. Well, I'm glad that you have at least one sample of one your sample signature. <laughs> that would stress me out. I have voted before. I voted. Um, for my state election, I think once when I was in college, and I also voted in the presidential election. Um, and both times were going to a church and going to the ballots because the church was like three blocks from where my parents mm-hmm. lived. And I actually was really confused about this election because my parents moved over the summer, and I wasn't sure if my voting address had to be the same as it was before they moved or if it now moves with them and so Mm. i actually sent and then put at the bottom i also wanted a change of address because that was an option and i hope that it all worked out but i requested mine like a month ago you have to do absentee ballots like six months in advance it seems like takes a while yeah um i have i have not voted um because I have not been in the States long enough. And when I was in the States, I didn't want to pick mm. between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. <laughs> so I was like, nah. <laughs> um, so anyways, kind of getting back to uh, the disenfranchised, there's an idea that, um, I, I guess we'll kind of parse this out in a little bit, but there's an idea that if you break the rules of society that you um, have some rights taken away. And, you know, like that's kind of the idea of like, well, you go to prison, you don't get all the rights of being a citizen. You don't Mm. get to own property. You don't get to own a weapon. (laughs) Like you don't carry your gun into prison, you know? Um, so there are certain rights that we would consider to be universal that are not necessarily still present if you are incarcerated. Yeah. Um, so there's an idea, there's a term called blanket ban, which I may mention in this, in this episode. Um, but it's the idea that like you just ban voting rights for anyone who's incarcerated. It's just a blanket ban, regardless of your sentence, Mm. regardless of your crime, you're just, you're not allowed to vote. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, as, as of right now, um, the U S is not in that category. There's been a lot of prison reform, to the point that there are very few states where it's just a blanket ban for everyone. That's good to know. That is good to know. Um, Yeah, but here are some um, sad stats that I will now share with you. Sad stats. Um, So, yeah, brace yourself, listeners, especially if you've been convicted of a felony. (laughs) Um, There are 6.1 million of you 
Roughly 2.5% of the U.S. population is banned from voting because of felony convictions. 6.1 million. Um, So that's quite a bit. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. Yep. Isn't um, marijuana use a felony in some states? Or it was before it started being Marijuana is still a felony in all states because only states' laws have changed to allow possession and use of marijuana. So technically, it's still a federal crime, even in states like Colorado, Washington, and Oregon, and wow. the others where there's legal. I know there's a few other. Um, and so if you are working at a government job and they test you for, or any, any job where they test for drugs, then you can still get a felony for using it, even if the state it's legal. That is wild. That is a weird state's rights and... U.S. rights. Yeah, there's a couple of weird things like that that are states versus the other weird one that maybe this is totally off topic is that like the space underneath um, like like through states um, like cross state highways Mm -hmm. is technically federal property. Mm -hmm. So very infrequently will states do anything about it because it's not their money to spend underneath. And so that's usually where you see the bigger homeless camps Mm. because the states aren't going in to clean it out. It's the federal government's job to Mm. do that. Interesting. Yeah. Which also I wonder if puts a lot of homeless arrests as felonies for people who are doing it because it's on federal property. Mm. So people who are currently in prison for drug use or for marijuana use, those people are in that 2.5% because it's a felony, potentially. Yeah. Yes, but there are also states that ban people from voting if they ever had a felony conviction or Ooh. were in prison yeah. for a felony. So even after they've been reintroduced into society. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So um, actually, I'll give you guys some stats on like specific states, but I wanted to throw in a little history bit in there because history is awesome. Um, Connecticut was the first state to ban criminals from voting, and they did so in 1818. Wow. So it's uh, definitely not a recent thing, and other states have kind of joined in since then. And here's what their constitution says. The Connecticut constitution says that a man's right to vote, so back then only men can vote, right. that's why it says a man's right Suffrage to vote, is coming. could be forfeited <laughs> by a conviction of bribery, forgery, perjury, dueling, fraudulent bankruptcy, <laughs> theft, or other offense for which an infamous punishment is inflicted. So I mean, Hamilton would have lost his right to vote if he were in Connecticut in 1818. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that means I would have lost my right to vote. For dueling? Yeah, and you would have not had your right to vote, sorry. Yeah, so um, it's good to be in 2020, guys. Yay! As bad as it is right now. Um, (laughs) Relatively good. Yeah, exactly. And with that, we will take a quick break. Welcome to Currently Reading with Abigail. Today's book is Dreaming in Cuban by Christina Garcia. Dreaming in Cuban tells the dreamy and bittersweet story of a family divided by politics and geography during the Cuban Revolution. It is the family story of Celia del Pino and her husband, daughter, and grandchildren taking place in the mid-1930s through the 80s. Garcia weaves the stories of Celia's children into the storyline, creating a story that mirrors the magical realism of Cuba itself, a country of beauty and poverty, idealism and corruption. See you next time. And 
And we are back. Right before the break, we were just talking a little bit about what disenfranchisement is and what it kind of looks like in the States. So we're going to continue that. Um, I bet you guys can't guess the only two states that allow all prisoners to vote. Ooh, I bet I can't. Oregon and... Nope. No, I know no. it's not, not Oregon. Oregon. I know that for it's sure. It's not Oregon. Who would vote? It's not Texas? Arkansas either. <laughs> Texas. Nope. Mm. It's two of the whitest states. Oh, Which is interesting because it'll tie into something we'll cover later. North Dakota? Nope. South Dakota? Nope. Maine and Vermont. Oh. Old money white. Old money white. Yep. So Maine and Vermont are the two only states that allow prisoner inmates to vote as well as probationers and parolees. Wow. That's a lot of rights. That's a lot of votes. Yeah. So. Why do you think that is? Um, well, I'll, I'll let you draw your own conclusions there. <laughs> um, 20... Other states do not allow people convicted of a felony to vote while they're serving a sentence, but they'll give them back their voting rights when they, once they complete their sentence. Mm, so good. while they're imprisoned for their felony, they um, don't get to vote. That but makes, once they leave, they get to vote. That, that includes sense to me. Arkansas. Good yay, job, Arkansas. For, Aww, yay. Yeah, you get reasonable, something good. Reasonable policies. Yay, and Georgia. Woohoo. But Arkansas also speeds up the death penalty to use expiring drugs. Yikes. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> little tie-in to last time. Um, Fourteen states allow parolees and probationers to vote. So those are people that, like, either because of good behavior or because of reduced sentence, are out of prison. They allow them to vote, but not inmates, and that includes Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, five states allow only probationers to vote, but not parolees or inmates. Eight states have other specific requirements. Um, Virginia is the only state that permanently disenfranchises convicted felons. You know what? I didn't know that. I honestly thought it was a little bit more across the board that convicted felons couldn't vote. I feel at this point right now. Well, like at any point. Yeah. Yeah. Most states are like once yeah, you're see, out. Yeah. See, I feel yeah, encouraged yeah, yeah. because mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was like it's going to be bad. The U.S. <laughs> was like, no, you went to jail for a felony, you or prison. You don't go to jail for a felony. You went to prison for a felony. Then you know, I mean, you're out of luck. Yeah. And I, I, so I. Well, there are a lot of states that have restrictions on like how, what type of elections you can vote in. Oh. Um, and internationally, yeah. it's actually different as well because there are I don't remember what country. Let me scroll through my notes. In Ukraine, um, <laughs> you don't get to vote in local elections as a prisoner because you're not part of your local community, but oh. you can vote in your national ones because uh, you're still a citizen. That so that's sense. the logic. That's like you don't, get to pick, you don't get to pick like the mayor of your hometown, but you get to pick the prime president cool. or whatever your like name is. Yeah. So and yeah, I thought we'll, I'd be like, yeah, go Ukraine. We'll give some other random country shout outs in a little bit. Um, but whenever I feel... No, I feel, I know that whenever you're messing with, like, the voter block, there was always, like, conspiracy theories about, like, oh, like, this many people would have voted for this person or whatever. Um, So one study found that disenfranchisement policies likely has affected seven Senate races from 1970 to 1998, as well as the 2000 presidential election between Bush and Gore, where it was really, really close to call, Uh. I think, in Florida. Um, so they were like, but you it know, didn't affect the 2016 election because that one was not close in. That was not close in electoral, electoral votes, college, but it yeah. was. I mean, Hillary the won the popular she vote. She won by well, a and slide. I right. mean, it was influenced negatively by Russia. So we don't need to worry about the disenfranchisement. Oh, well, we need to worry about uh, something totally different. Okay, that's a hoax. All right, coming back <laughs> to uh, 
Um, so also whenever we're talking about voting and people in prison, like there's, we obviously, I, well, I think we all know about kind of the racial disproportionality of people who are sentenced to prison sentences. Yeah. Um, and, and, the, and I think the also, not just the frequency, but also the severity mm. of the sentencing. Yes, the severity of the sentences. At and a lot age. of those At a lot of age. those started after the Civil War when a lot of Southern black people were freed. Yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, it started because a lot of actually white Democrats in the Southern states wanted to disenfranchise as many black Republican voters as possible by instituting things like poll taxes and the grandfather law that's like... If your grandfather was able to vote, yeah. then you can vote. And did they do well. the written tests too? Was that also there was a that time? yeah? But that was more to disenfranchise illiterate, illiterate white voters. Mm. Um, so I think as a result, there was a study that said that um, the Democrats in the South enjoyed about twenty-five extra seats in Congress between nineteen o three and nineteen fifty-three. Um, so that's then, just an interesting little note there, which also meant that they were not represented in social programs in the Great Depression, and they were also not on jury duty, mm. which meant a lot of all-white juries, yeah. which meant a lot of the system just kept incorrectly s- sentenced or incorrectly accused or whatever. Yeah, did uh, didn't if I'm remembering right historically, a lot of Southern Democrats switched to the Republican Party after the Civil Rights Movement around the 60s. Isn't yeah. that correct? Mm-hmm. It was a huge party shift. Like, mm-hmm. I think it, around that time, it was like the ideals just flopped. Yeah. Like, you were a Democrat. You were Democratic. Like a yellow you had dog more Democrat. Republican um, views until a certain yeah. point. And then the, vice versa, too. And then after the... What was it? Like well, the 60s? It, was after, it, it was after a lot of the social welfare programs that that mm. the Democrats pushed through, like the New Deal mm. and all the stuff of, like, government spending, which is, like, not Republican, but then it benefited a lot of impoverished people all over the country. So then they were all, like, that's that's kind of when this, I think, when the switch happened. Mm. Anyways, we don't have to talk about that. Um, all right, real quick, we can give some, I'll just give you guys some different, like, global perspectives. We've already, we've already talked about Ukraine. Um, in India, um, you get disenfranchised right when you are accused, even before you've been tried. Oh, um, wow. Yikes. You are, even though you're assumed innocent or you're presumed innocent before you are tried, um, you're still not allowed to vote, huh. which is kind of interesting. And I, I don't know if I, I, would, I would agree with that at I all. I wouldn't. Yeah, I sure. don't like that. Um, Especially if they're proven innocent later. Like, what was the point of taking it away for a short time? Yeah, just because they were being accused. So I guess in order to transition into our next topic, I'm going to read a little bit of the um, South African. There was a declaration that they made in 1999, Mm. and they said, here's what they said. The universality of the franchise voting is important not only for nationhood and democracy. The vote of each and every citizen is a badge of dignity and personhood. Quite literally, it says that everybody counts. Mm. So I think at this point, I've been talking a whole lot. I just want to dive into some, like, what are you guys' initial impressions of whether or not you think um, convicted individuals should be allowed to vote? I think that I'm sure we'll talk about the nuance later, but for now, I would say that 
the consequence of breaking a law is the prison time or whatever the sentence is, and that you should still have a vote because you are still a citizen. Otherwise, why would that government be your prison holder? You know, like if I was um, sentenced, if I did a crime in Taiwan, I would probably like have a Taiwan sentence, but also may have extra sentences or things back in the U.S. and like potentially, like they may ship me back to the U.S., like deport me back there to serve prison time. Extradite. Yeah. Extradite. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. what I was looking for. So like I'm still a citizen of that country, even though I'm in Taiwan and maybe I yeah. commit the crime here, whatever. So I think that your citizenship, if your citizenship doesn't get revoked because of a crime, then your voting shouldn't either. And you already are serving the consequence of loss of ability to participate in society freely, but you shouldn't lose, I think, voting because voting feels like a, a right for existence. I don't know. But I also get some nuance maybe later. I actually have a question that might define what I think about this. Maybe neither of you know, but... Do prisoners still pay taxes? No, Ooh. they don't. Okay, so I think that mm-hmm. while you're in prison, you it makes sense to me to have your voting abilities like restricted or taken away completely, actually, mm. um, because you're not paying taxes. So mm-hmm. you're actually not supporting a system that you're voting for. Um, That's true. At the same time, you're also not getting really any benefits from oh, it. You are dis- you're like yeah. disenfranchised. But because you're committing a crime and some of those rights, they're, they remove, you're just removed from it. Um, I don't believe that people who are released from prison, probation, parole, or like ex-con have, should have their voting rights um, restricted in any capacity at all. Um, I think once you've served your time, whether yeah, or not, their sentence, yeah, whether yeah. or not you're off for mm-hmm. good behavior, you've actually served your whole sentence, you should be able to vote again. Um, I don't think that disenfranchisement should follow you just like i think that you should pay taxes when you're released from prison Mm. same way and with that i think we need to take a quick break And welcome to the segment called Words Are Hard with Candace, where I share an interesting word or phrase. Today's word is moratorium. A moratorium means the temporary prohibition of an activity, and it comes from the Latin mora, meaning to delay. For example, a manufacturing moratorium on women's nylons caused what is referred to as a stocking panic and created a black market for criminals to sell a pair of nylons for a whopping 2,000% markup. Moratorium. And we are back. Right before the break, we were kind of sharing our initial impressions. Um, oh, I didn't get to share mine. Oh, do oh, I think I, I think I would agree with Abigail. I think that once you've committed a crime, you have... Um, once you've been rightly and justly convicted of a crime, <laughs> fair trial, not talking about some shady business, um, you've chosen to, I think, commit acts that, that give up your rights in, to participate in a free democratic society. Um, and through your actions, you've, you've chosen to lose those. Maybe a challenge I have with that statement is... How dare you challenge me? <laughs> Just kidding. Fair and 
true trial. Like, what was the other word used? Fair and just. Yeah. Yeah. Just an open trial. Just an yeah. open trial. Yep. Constitution. You, not every trial is just an open. That's the problem. Like, how can how you know? Well, how so many to people... me, that's not really an issue about disenfranchisement. That's an issue about justice reform. So within justice reform, though, my part of the problem with. Um, these cyclical problems that we have in in the justice system of like mm. uh, uh, poor housing for prison inmates or um, the like death row, just like the way that everything happens. There's a lot of people who are falsely convicted, like the the higher percentage of African Americans or minorities who are convicted for crimes or given steeper sentences. And part of that reform doesn't happen unless you're participating and seeing it happen. And most people in their lives don't watch trials. No. And most people who do watch trials either get desensitized to it because they're working it all day long, if you're a lawyer, if you're a law clerk, anything like that. And then the rest of them, anybody who else is a part of it, are prisoners or their families. And so those people oftentimes are very passionate about whatever the problem is. But if you're a prisoner and you're in a state where your vote has been taken away for 30 years, how can you do anything about, hey, I was wrongfully in prison for something mm -hmm. I did at 14, yeah. even though I was a minor, they tried me as an adult and not, and I've been in prison for 25 years and they just upped my prison sentence for another 10 years. And I can't pay the fees to get a lawyer to come and bring up my trial again. I can't afford all that because I don't get paid anything in prison other than pennies for doing slave labor, essentially. Yeah. Like, it's I think really hard to fix anything unless you can be still a part of the process. I think that's a really fair point, but I think maybe for purposes of the conversation, we're just assuming that the that what we're talking about is with a fair and open trial, right? Like yeah, we're assuming our baseline is that we fixed all of that. Yeah, well, crap. and my comment is specifically like, let's assume everyone in prison is rightly and correctly convicted of their crime should they vote, mm. right? Yeah. I mean, um, and I do think your point is valid that, like, people in prison cannot advocate for themselves politically. Yeah. Um, there are, and there are a lot of organizations that do advocate on behalf of, mm. um, on behalf of prisoners. I do want to give a shout-out to one of my sources, thesentencingproject.org. They have a lot of great information about issues in, in um, prison sentencing. They have a lot of ways that you can take action to help advocate um, for people who may not even be unjustly accused, but just people who are in prison mm -hmm. and advocating for, for them because um, there are some really bad conditions in prisons. Can I also make a shout out? Sure. The Arkansas Prison Story Project is an excellent group that teaches writing and literacy skills and uh, creative writing and poetry to uh, prison inmates in Arkansas. They've done it with a women's correctional facility, with a death row facility. I'm not sure what they've done with it since, but they then share the writing of those prisoners with people out in the community in the hopes of, A, raising awareness of the struggle of being a human incarcerated, and B, um, maybe raising awareness to specific issues within the justice system so shout I out have, i don't have a shout out but i do have maybe possibly with this mini conversation right here maybe a call to action if mm. you are in a place um oh, any place that has some sort of a justice system that disenfranchises prisoners whether you think it's right or wrong um it's really good to be involved and in being paying attention to what's happening to advocate for the rights of people whether or not they're justly or unjustly incarcerated yeah. um particularly to find people who are unjustly incarcerated and being their voice outside of prisons mm. So kind of jumping back to our topic of voting here, um, 
I wanted to kind of give you guys a little bit of like ways that either side has argued this and then you can tell me what you think or we can just have a conversation about it. Um, I wanted to introduce, I'd never heard this term before, but a term is civil death. Um, it was a 19th century term basically that described um, an individual who's incarcerated and you thereby lose your rights to participate in civil democratic mm. society. Mm. So you haven't literally died, you've civilly died mm. in that you can no longer partake. Um, and the argument there is that kind of the idea of a social contract that mm -hmm. like if you as if us as citizens are entering to a contract relationship with each other to form a government and there are rules that we have to abide by laws that we need to obey and we choose to break those, then we ought not continue to have a say in the government because we've broken the contract. Mm -hmm. I've killed someone or I've done something that as a society we've agreed not to do. Um, so that's one vein of argument is to say, like, you know, if you if you like you don't deserve society's trust anymore because your actions have undermined what keeps us together as a society. I think that's really hard for me because I think going kind of what we talked about when we talked about death row, um, but that people are redeemable. And I think mm. this idea of civil death following you after prison is an assumption of the irredeemability of people, um, that you've once a felon, always a felon. Mm -hmm. Once you've broken our trust, trust can no longer be gained. Yeah. And that, I think that's hard. That's hard for me to swallow. And it's not, there's, there's precedent that when it's a larger scale, we always go redeemable, like big bailouts of companies mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. have thousands of jobs. They want to keep that company afloat because it contributes to society, even though that company was mishandling money. And it's happened over and over again. Across Wells the US. Fargo, <laughs> don't put your money in that bank. <laughs> and so it seems like we only we only are talking about, well, these consequences are... Um, final and civil death has to happen whenever it's a single person. But yeah. if it's a company, we're like, oh, you're, we, you, you'll fix, you'll get better. Like, yep. we know that you're going to change your practices and everything else. But a company isn't even a person. It's many different people who yeah. could be replaced by other equally shady humans with well, money. Well, even with that, it makes me think of, I mean, apart from Wells Fargo, but it makes me think of Target. Like, mm. several years ago when they had that whole, leaked, like, like, leaked, leaked everyone's credit stuff. card information. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I did not stop shopping at Target. Yeah. Like, that was not the end of my Target days. Right. Because I was like, oh, of course they didn't do this on purpose, which they didn't. This was just a security breach, and of course they will fix it. And they did, right? Like, to Target's credit, they have fixed that, and, you know, our credit card information isn't stolen. So simultaneously, if someone is to steal eyeliner from a store or to be homeless for a period of time mm -hmm. or to do an illegal drug um, or to be addicted for a while, right? Mm -hmm. that doesn't or to be mean a part of a crime accidentally. Yeah, it doesn't mean it means that it doesn't mean that it's the end of their ability to function in society. Yeah. Well, um, I do. Th I personally, I would say that like once someone's done with their sentence, they should their voting rights should be restored. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't think like their I I don't think that their civil death would be permanent. Yeah. I guess they'd be civilly resurrected. <laughs> um, but the I think the argument would go that they would have to prove that they are able to be a law-abiding and upstanding citizen mm. for us to trust them. Us being like this, like you know, floating Nebulous. cloud of citizens that are like, yes, we welcome you back. <laughs> um, but it also brings in the idea of like. Okay, while these people are being imprisoned, this is an important civil lesson for them to learn mm. to like 
how to be a responsible citizen. Like, and voting is a small way of restoring responsibility to an imprisoned individual yeah. and saying, like, okay, um, you messed up, but here's how you can start to take part in society again by voting, by taking the small, like, um, by taking part in state elections or whatever. It's part of the rehabilitation process, some would argue. Yeah. I would say that it if we're wanting to encourage people, like we're thinking of prison as rehab for them to rejoin society later and that they're serving their time for the consequences of what they've done wrong, then there should be not only voting in prisons, but also like classes where you learn about how to decide who to vote for. Yeah. Because like you never know the And I think there are the people baseline. that would argue for that. Yeah. To like educate someone. And I China guess. would do the same to bring people and re educate them. Ooh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, so I mean, I'm not equating, wrong. I'm definitely not equating like teaching someone to read as like with like China <laughs> bringing like Uyghur Muslims to read like oh, whatever. Yeah. Them. Really but I think once you're re educating, Yikes. it's like, okay what are the things you're teaching, right? right? And it's kind of like, we kind of go way back to like the public-private school, like who's deciding what yeah. you learn kind of thing. Oh, can you but imagine? voting's one of those things that's like fairly simple. I mean, they're not telling them who to vote for, I guess, but... Can you imagine if, um, let's say, this is, this is a dream scenario. Let's say that public <laughs> school teachers in every state get like a 10,000 US increase per year if once once a week nightly they do a night class, I mean of course nightly. They do a night class with prisoners on teaching them whatever skill it is that something a part of their classes. Like government teachers can come in and do uh, classes on history and how to vote and everything else. English Cuz you know, we're really 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 not busy and we have a ton of free time. I of course. I mean, I would give up some of my free time for 10,000 an extra dollars. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh ten, you said ten thousand. Yeah. Imagine oh, ten thousand yeah. a year. Like US oh, dollars? a year. Wait, a year. A One year. day a week. Think about it. How though? many hours? Think like two hours. Do I get a prep? <laughs> you do get a prep. Yes. Get a prep. And oh it replaces gosh. your Starbucks job because you know everyone would be doing two or three side jobs in order to make ends meet. Abigail would never work at Starbucks. Let's be honest. Oh, that is. Well, true. would Works you? Well, I don't know. I don't know. For my first two years teaching, I worked at PetSmart and at my teaching job because we couldn't afford rent if I wasn't oh, working yeah. in two places. In Oklahoma, most teachers, I, I say this liberally, like a good chunk of teachers have to do... You say you say it liberally? As in like, I'm making up know, the I'm stat a little bit. Also, saying. when I, I worked at, say, as a high schooler, when I worked at a Safeway, which is just like a grocery store, one of the night managers was also a high school teacher in the school district. Yep. It's pretty common. I think we need to take a break. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome to Jokes and Jocular Facts with James. Today's joke is, where did the hacker go? I don't know. He ran somewhere. Today's jocular fact is, Alaska is the only state name that you can type that's on the same row on a computer keyboard, with A and S being beside each other on the middle row of a standard QWERTY keyboard, and K and L over on the other side of the same row, Alaska is the only state name that you can type out using a single row on a keyboard. This has been Jokes and Jocular Facts with James. Catch you next time.
Welcome back, listeners. Before the break, we were talking about voting and whether prisoners should be should have the right to vote. Um, one question that I came across in my research is a very simple question of, is voting a privilege or a right? And I think it kind of is at the heart of this issue in a way, because if you think, like I think, Candace, um, a little earlier you said that voting is one of those like basic human rights yeah, that I you think said. That. Partially because I can envision... I, I'm always thinking the dystopian version. I can envision a dystopia where governments decide that your faith is a um, mm. is is a breaking against the law, and they can put yeah. you in prison, and you can never have a part of your society again. That's literally happening in, in a certain country that we know around about the world. That's <laughs> very close to. I mean, where we I would are even add point. an F set to the end. Well, an I E S. You dropped the Y. Um, not just one. Yeah. I mean, there's several that that very thing is happening. Yeah. But like, in, even in other ways, like I can imagine where something that the government decides that a certain portion of the population shouldn't be able to participate in voting because it sways which way a government is going to be run. And that happened I, in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the huh. thing I want to avoid is yeah. us becoming like Germany. And Sorry, I, I wasn't laughing at Adolf. 30s, I think 20s. I would also agree with you. I think that it is a it is a right. I don't think that it's a privilege. But I think that we lose some of our rights when we have broken our our social con like con contract track. Contract, oh my yeah. gosh, I cannot believe how hard that was for me. Okay, <laughs> our social contract and we have been put into prison. But at what point do we decide breaking a social contract is is your faith or the way that you have are living your life? I'm, like what if I, we decide one I, day I think that, that's that's a little different. I that's a like law question. That's I, like what yeah, but laws that's, but that that's being decided in when we're talking about breaking law. I think right? by the time we get to that point, voting from prison is not gonna be our biggest issue. <laughs> I, which I would agree with. <laughs> that is um, I I think that voting is a privilege not in that um, it's only reserved for a certain class of people, but I think that it's something that's really valuable mm -hmm. and it sh ought to be seen as such that you get to take part in your government. And that's pretty cool because not everyone gets to do that everywhere, yeah. True. even though it is universally declared to be a human right that you have a say in your government. But I you do think you say that with such like eye rolling, like, even well, yeah, like, I mean, they're a, a they're a country like like Russia didn't abide by this and the UN was like, Hey, you should stop. And they were like, okay. Cause the UN has no power. Right. So it's like, yeah. okay, great. Like you say that. All right, fine. Whatever. Well, and I think there's even countries like we were talking about China earlier who like pretend to do it, but don't really care. Like, yeah. okay. Good to go back to me saying that it was a right. I would have to say, I think it's a U.S. right. I don't think it's a universal right because you're like, not, is it a human right? Yeah, I don't think that it's a human right. I oh. think it's a right for us. Unique to a society. Unique that, to our society, because gotcha. we've been given that as a right already. And I think that's what I'm trying to get at, that, like, in the global view, it's a privilege that we get to vote yeah. in but, state elections and in um, national elections. But I would say that because we have worked so hard for that right, because we have had soldiers who died for our our right to vote for for us to keep our freedoms as they are that no one should take away that right specifically because that one is one that has to do with what us if, running our country what if that right was taken away by yourself because of your actions yeah. right? See, like so that's the argument that like and that and that is i think my line of thought too and mm -hmm. like 
and even just thinking, you know, school starts, students come to tomorrow. By when we're recording, students are coming tomorrow um, to class. And I was just literally thinking about setting up my management system, like teaching elementary, and about how, like, as I'm, like, thinking through exactly how I'm going to present it to them, thinking one of the things that I am planning on saying is it is never my fault if you have to move down on the management chart. It's always yours because the choices that you make are what's moving you. I'm not moving you. You are moving yourself. And it's the same with prison. But okay, when we're so, speaking of fair and just as our baseline trials. So let's see how that could go wrong. Let's say that you see, um, let's say that there's one kid that repeatedly has done something wrong in class that week. And then next week still has a couple times like they've been off task or they've like run around during a time when they weren't supposed to or they've just blurted out in the middle of talking. And then one day they're almost to the bottom of that chart where there's going to be a consequence that leaves your classroom and you see them interacting with another student. But what really happened in that time when they weren't supposed to be talking to anybody was the other student asking them for something and them saying, shh, I'm not supposed to talk. I'm not supposed to talk right now. And then you move them down the chart and say, you did this to yourself, even though all they were doing was trying to turn around and trying to redeem their classroom behavior. See, my problem is that like we're talking about this in a utopian world. We're talking about this in a fair and safe trial. We're assuming that everyone who goes to prison earned it. We're assuming that everyone who went to prison, they were choosing to be a part of whatever the crime was. That's not always the case. I know of cases where people were driving a friend to go pick up something at their house, and then that friend took out a gun and shot through the window of their car. I, th- I think the same dystopian arguments could be made if we just allow vast blocks of criminals to vote. You could be like, well, then they're going to vote to do this and change this law and now all of felons can vote and now we have criminals running the street. You know, so like I mean 2.5% of the population. That's not a majority. You know how many people turn out to vote? Yeah, but that's not, not that a many. that's not a, still not a majority of the vote. Like We're not, the vote is still like 55%. You don't need the majority of the vote to win anything. Yes, you need a plurality, but still a plurality no, of 55% well, of the world or I, of the country? I think it's I think it's hard to argue something with here's how it could, could go wrong. I think we need to figure out what's the best way to move forward as it currently stands. And I think as it currently stands, people who are in prison for felonies should not be able to vote because they've given up their right to do so by committing actions that were fairly tried. I think your example is valid, but I think it's not valid in that way. I just said it is and isn't valid. (laughs) I think parts of it are valid. I think it's invalid in that you're assuming Abigail's an unjust judge. Not, not assuming, just that, like, th- we are human. And, like, there is precedent. For sure. So I'm going to quote Malcolm Gladwell again because in his book, uh, Talking to Strangers, he talks about how um, – actually, no, it was in – yeah, I think it was in Talking with Strangers – that when a judge looks someone in the eye whenever they are deciding whether or not to sentence that person, they are more wrong than they are right about whether that person will commit the crime again. If they don't look them in the eye, they're – more right about whether or not that person will commit the crime. We are poor judges when it comes to like looking at someone and saying, oh yeah, they're, they're not going to do this again. Or when we use like our, our knee jerk judgment, or even if we have a minute to sit on it and think and look and say, oh, well, I looked into their eyes and I could tell that they weren't going to do this crime again. We're poor judges. So why can we say that we are infallible as people and assume everything is going to be infallible on the, uh, in the judicial system on that end. That, 
To be fair, not, that's not what I'm saying. I, n- neither of us are saying, I think, that we think that people are infallible. I think, so personally, to take a step back and to, like, think about contextually, like, right now, I think there are, there are laws that I think are, the laws themselves are unjust and need to be changed because they're unfair. And I think that, I mean, there's been cases, so many cases of judges taking bribes for things. There's been cases of all kinds, there's just so much that is wrong with the American justice system. There's a lot. It's like it's it needs to be torn down and rebuilt back up pretty oh, much man. from the ground. Um, and I think there's a lot that's wrong. We're talking about it even right now as a place for people to rehabilitate. That's not what prisons are, like especially when you're sussing out like private and public prisons and the types of staffing and the people who are in there. Like it's completely not really a rehabilitation place. Mm. Um, Like, I think, like, well, going back to the example with my management system, assuming that I'm the unjust unjust judge, it would be really easy to assume, and it would be really easy for me to be like, all right, that's it. You're, you know, out of luck. This is it. This is in. But I don't do that in my class. I usually talk to the kid afterwards. Um, Even if it's not in the moment, it's usually before, like, they leave for the day, even if I'm pulling them from a different class to try to figure out what's out, because... I do not like sending home emails to parents telling them how terrible their child was that day. So I would prefer to find the good so that I can get out of having to do that. And also because I think that I'm wrong sometimes. Like, it happens. I'm a person. I'm fallible. I'm not, you know, infallible. And so so as far as that goes, and, and even though it's not, that ought to be the way that the justice system looks at people. And if we're talking about a specific type of what would be good... It, nothing is good, right? Because right. we are all fallen. Felons are fallen. Judges are fallen. Juries are fallen. The police officers who are who are um, d- enacting the laws are fallen. The people who have created the laws are fallen. Lobbyists are fallen. Literally everyone is fallen. Mm. And without the redeeming grace of God and us to be, to be able to fix it, it'll never be fixed perfectly. Right. And so we can't even have this conversation at all, I think, if we're not having some sort of a basic baseline. And I think the basic baseline baseline that we're trying to come to this topic on is just everyone who's in prison ought to be in prison Mm. is like for this conversation and not that that's reality because in reality I think there's a lot more who ought not be in prison than there are who should yeah I would say like the issue of voting from prison isn't necessarily an issue of were you rightly or wrongly convicted it's what happens when you are serving your sentence do you get to vote so I wanted to share a little bit on um, this kind of this topic kind of came to national attention um, during the like democratic debates between all the different candidates earlier in 2019, I believe, um, which seems like forever ago. Yikes! Um, so much has happened. <laughs> A lot. So kind of Bernie Sanders started this off. Of course, he starts off all debates about really crazy topics, but <laughs> he argued that all inmates should be given the right to vote. Mm. Every single inmate. Um, and all of the other other Democratic candidates kind of, like, distanced themselves from that claim because, like, if you know anything about American politics, Bernie is kind of, like, pretty radical, mm. even for mainstream Democrats. Yeah, um, yeah. feel the burn. For the most part. Um, speaking of mainstream Democrats, 61% of them say, uh, in a poll, 61% of Democrats say that people who are incarcerated for a felony shouldn't be allowed to vote. Mm. So it's fairly, that's like a, a pretty strong majority of Democrats. Um, yeah. If you're wondering for all registered voters, it's 69%. So it's a little higher. So Democrats in general are a bit more 
open, I guess, to the idea. Um, or there's a larger part of them by 8%. Anyways, um, one person who I guess maybe would align more with me and, and Abigail's stance is Pete. Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Buttigieg, but it, whatever. <laughs> um, he's, Buttigieg. he's saying kind of that what we're saying, like when you are incarcerated, you lose certain rights, you lose your freedom, and that's an exception. Like that during that period, it doesn't make sense to make an exception that you're allowed to vote um, when all your other freedoms are taken away. Mm. Um, Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren um, kind of dodged the issue. They were like, these are really important conversations for us to have. <laughs> um, and that was it. So, like, we don't really know what they believe. Odds are they, they probably are somewhere in between Pete and Bernie, but they don't want to say it. Um, yeah, so, like, I think, I think the public opinion is fairly, like, a majority of U.S. citizens would say that, that people shouldn't vote if they are currently incarcerated. Um, but there's also a lot of roadblocks to criminals or ex, like people who are, have come out of prison sentences, yeah. um, restoring their right to vote. And I think all of us would agree that that's like, that's a really important part and that they should not be disenfranchised. No. Can't you also um, be turned down for a job yes. if you have it on your record yep. that you were in prison? Yeah. Yep. And you have to, it's like fraud or something if you don't mark it on a job application wow. so you can't even just like not say yeah mm. it's like you can get in a lot of i think you can get in some pretty good trouble if you don't report don't it. report yeah. it so yeah. i mean even like even though we kind of agree it's actually this this statistic was kind of interesting to me um 65 percent of americans think that um Oh, sorry, only 65% of Americans think that nonviolent felony, uh, people who are convicted of a nonviolent felony should be allowed to vote after they've completed their sentence. So wow. 35% of people wow. think that even if they're done with their sentence... For a nonviolent felony. For a nonviolent felony, you, you should not be able to vote. So I think, like, I, I think as a society, we have you know, a long way to go to and be I more. I think that's also because of the way we view prisons, again, that we see, we, I think we talked about this with death row, that when um, people are in prison, we prefer out of sight, out of mind. We mm -hmm. don't really want to think about it. Well, but these are people who are back or ha yeah, are back so out. Like, yeah. I think because they're ostracized, because we see, we often see people who are in prison as kind of less than human even, or mm -hmm. they're reduced to a number on a, on a jumpsuit. Like they, they, we, because of that, I think it's, more polarizing for them when they re-enter society. We don't really think of, oh, you're back to normal now. We think, mm -hmm. oh, you are the black spot on the yeah. the sheep that is our society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And about like, th there's 3.1 million of those people That's who are disenfranchised of because of state laws that restrict people voting after they've completed their sentences. And this is this is why I still can't get over the whole. Um, we have to talk about some things. We have to assume everything works well. But, like, that's we don't live in that world. It's hard to argue for something when we don't live in the world where that argument makes sense. We Like, it doesn't, it's not 100% accurate. Like, every judicial system is biased. So it's really hard to be, like, assuming that everything is perfect, here's how it should go down. Because it's not always perfect. It kind of makes me think, though, of, like, the Audubon in... Mm -hmm. The EU, Germany has it, but I don't remember what it other countries it crosses. Spain does. Spain. The Autobahn. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's like there's like there's like lanes with like no speed limits. We drove on right? it going 200 
kilometers an hour. It was so fast. Yeah. But we have speed limits in, like, America and in Taiwan, there's speed limits, even though... (laughs) Quote, speed limits. (laughs) (laughs) Even though um, people, like, there's proof with the Audubon, right, that people can drive safely going fast, um, that, that it is possible. It's also very straight. It is a very straight, straight road. But we don't. I don't want the roads around where I'm living to not have speed limits because I'm thinking of what I can't. I can't make the rules around only fit a certain context, right? Oh, people who are disenfranchised, you shouldn't be disenfranchised. Therefore, everyone should have a right to vote. Just because some people can drive really well, really fast does Doesn't not mean, mean that people, I think yeah. all people can drive really well, really fast. And I would rather make sure that people who can't drive really well, really fast are being safe for me, my safety. But I mean, I know that's a little different than voting, but also for the safety of others around them, right? Because I don't think it's a safety issue. But it is the same in the sense that, like, I don't think voting is a safety issue, but I think that when people are in prison and they're serving their time, we ought to be assuming that people in prison who are serving their time, when we're talking about different pieces of the layers of it, are people who have committed the crime. Because if we're always, if we're always trying to make the rules as open as possible for people who could be disenfranchised unfairly, the problem is, is that we're giving benefits to people who ought to be in prison. So we're saying, oh, we know that this percentage of people are in prison unjustly. Let's say we had a number. Let's say it's even like 30%. 30% of people in prisons are in prisons unjustly. I'm making that number up. Um, But we... But that means that 70% are. And that's a high number. I think it's probably lower than 30% of people who are unjustly convicted. I really, really hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but 70% are there, are there justly. justly. And because they are there, there needs to be a punishment. Now, like I said, in, in death row, I think there needs to be cap, in our death row conversations, I think there needs to be caps on it. I think that there's more than just like, um, um, harsh, I don't think all punishment for people who are in prison should be harsh. And I think that ties into this with me. I think this is one of the harsh things that happens when you're in prison. But because I think this is one of those harsh things that happens when you're in prison, I can say that I don't agree with um, uh, isolation and I don't agree with death row and I don't agree with these other things because one of the things that is the punishment isn't necessarily these other outside things. It's the not being able to vote. It's the not being able to see your family. It's the not being able to go to Taco Bell when you want to. It's the restrictions of freedom um, and not additional other things. I think even though we disagree, I think we would all agree that we should do everything in our ability to make this world a more just place and to watch out for people who don't have a voice Mm. And um, whether it's disenfranchised people or children, like children don't get to vote. We should also care for them. And they should also, I guess, be protected by our government. And once again, you've reached inconclusive end of the inconclusive podcast. Sharing is caring. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Also, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Inconclusive Podcast. Talk to you next time.